Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. Let's focus on the lyrics. Let's build this imagery with the music and be very deliberate with that because we've already flexed the riff muscle. So we want to kind of get back to that a bit. And I think that we've kind of scratched the surface a bit with this new EP. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. Joining us this week are Kirill Orlov and Mark Dejar, guitarist and bassist vocalist, respectively, of Huntsman, the band's unique combination of folk Americana with Doom-inspired heavy sections and harmonized vocals are presented through different production and storytelling lenses on the band's debut, American Scrap, and 2020's Mandala of Fear. The re-release of American Scrap by Prosthetic Records will be supplemented with a special performance of the album at Roadburn Festival. We discuss how American Scrap is more relevant than ever musically and lyrically, how the record is being transformed for the upcoming performance, and how they've incorporated vocalist Amy Bueno sonically and personally into the project, The Dying Pines, the band's most recent output, will be celebrated with a special hometown preview taking place at the Empty Bottle on April 9th. Let's dive and get heavy. Kirill Orlov, Mark Najar, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. You are en route to re-releasing American Scrap, which is a debut album, and you will be en route to Roadburn as well. What's it like going back and revisiting an album like American Scrap? It's it's fun. It's a, it's actually a good treat. You know, we haven't played quite a few of these songs live in quite some time, especially since, you know, Mandala came out. And so we, and also having Amy as a full-time member at this point, it going back and adjusting the songs to make sure that it includes obviously Amy. We want to make sure that, you know, the, the, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a fun experience because it almost feels like we're revisiting the same songs fine, but we're re not rearranging them, but just like really thinking about it. Like, okay, how is this going to work now that we have a full time, you know, I guess fourth vocalist in our band. Um, and it's, I don't know. It, it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting and it's just going back to that record and listening to it, you know, when I'm rehearsing by myself at home, the, the way that we recorded that album is completely different than we did Mandala and, you know, the upcoming stuff that we have here. So it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. And then just yesterday I got the, the actual vinyl represses. And so putting that back on vinyl was, uh, was interesting. I was like, Oh shit, this is, that's right. Now I remember this album, like, how we recorded it and the reason we did it on the specific vinyl and stuff. So for me, at least, yeah. I'm on the same page as Kirill. It's just been really fun going back and kind of getting back into that headspace of how we wrote that record. You know, the, the most recent record Mandala is, you know, that was written at a time when Chris was recovering from a major back surgery. And the majority of those parts were written by him while he was recovering and so like that, that record is, you know, it's a deeply personal record to all of us, but I think especially to him because, you know, it, 
it's just kind of like his headspace throughout that whole process. And some of those, some of the stuff had been written before his back surgery, of course. And it was definitely a collaborative effort. Boris, American Scrap was the first time we were able to sort of get into the headspace of this sort of like universe that we've been building. This like sort of like hypothetical, I don't know if it's like a, if it was so deliberate, but it just all sort of worked and all of those themes were very personal to us at, at the time. And it was much more collaborative uh, songwriting effort, um, you know, across the board. I mean, there was like, there was a point where <laughs> I told <laughs> like everyone was like, okay, I think uh, it's time for, for us to go get lunch. And I was like, you guys go on ahead, bear, you stay here with me. Um, I'm going to get super ripped <laughs> and I'm just going to, I'm going to set up a whole bunch of mics and percussion equipment and you just hit record. And I made like all of these like weird interlude sounds and stuff like that. It was a chance to really like flex that, like, uh, um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> I'm having the worst brain fart right now. Um, from the Beach Boys, Brian, fill in the blank. Brian, what's his name? <laughs> you wouldn't, Brian Ewing? Ewing? No. No. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong? Oh my God. Uh, I can ask my wife. Well, she loves the Beach Boys. <laughs> well, I love the Beach Boys too, but it's like, this is embarrassing. Are you looking at Brian Wilson? Sorry. Wilson. There you go. Thank you. Jesus Christ. Thank you. What? You were just waiting for me to get there, you dick. <laughs> just like, wow, let's like, let's listen to this asshole struggle fucking recalling like one of the, like the greatest songwriters of all time's name. <laughs> but yes, that was my Brian Wilson moment. I think uh, it was, it was a lot of fun doing that. So like, you know, we, uh, of course, we have to start rehearsing these um, these tunes because Roadburn asked us to play the record in full. And I'm with Kirill as far as going back and listening to him and playing them and, you know, revisiting some of that stuff. It's like, oh, man, we could totally do this. And now that Amy's here, like she could take the vocals on like these songs in the front and we can add all these like cool extra harmonies and stuff. So there might be some surprises when we play it. Um, some things that like weren't necessarily on the record, but are definitely more it's more Huntsman than it was then, if that makes any sense. Were there any challenges in revisiting that material? Shaking off the cobwebs, I think. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. I think that's the majority of it. And then also deciding, we're still in the process of deciding is like, are we going to, like, are we going to play those interludes? Are we going to arrange them so we can play them live? Or should we use them as backing tracks to give us time to like, kind of like refocus and everything? Because sometimes like in a live set, you need some sort of like space to kind of get yourself regrouped and everything. So having, you know, not having the responsibility of like playing like right back to back to back to back, you'll have some people who like talk to the audience and work the crowd. And that's just never really been our style. So this, you know, I'm, I'm erring on the side of performing them live because it's, it's just fun to kind of like make all of those sounds and shake everyone's guts. But I don't know. What do you think? Rob? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's. Uh, I think it's a combination of both uh, playing it live and uh, a little bit of that backing thing. Just because that album is very sporadic with the way we ended up switching our tuning. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah. so like Chris and I, uh, our lead singer and other guitarist, uh, we we have to jump back and forth between two completely different tunings. So we have, you know, there's four guitars on stage, not including Mark. Luckily, Mark Mark's quick on the tuning, so he's he's quick to jump up and down. But for us, it, um, for whatever reason, we 
we're idiots and ended up going with that. So for us, it's it's kind of nice to, but we we hate silence on stage. So there's a lot of looping and stuff like that that occurs. Um, so yeah, I mean, it'll uh, that's that's probably the most challenging thing just to make it sound like it's there on purpose, right? Uh, there on purpose. So we have songs where they have there is no interludes, right? The song would stop and then we would chain tuning completely to a different guitar. So now we're thinking of well. We have to create something between those songs, so those parts are a little bit uh, a little bit harder because we want to make sure it's deliberate. Otherwise, it just sounds like just garbage that we put out there. I mean, we're a noisy band, so it's great feedback and all that junk is great, but also that album has a lot of very subtle and very quiet parts, and so you just want to make it a little bit prettier than just let me feedback like a motherfucker and we're all set to go. So. Uh, that said, I love feeding back, so that's basically what I do. So, oh yeah, some people have made <laughs> fabulous fucking careers doing that, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I listen to Sonic Youth. I've I've heard their experimental albums or Sun <laughs> shit, man. Or Sun, yeah, that's true, Sun. Yeah, that's interesting from the perspective of like what you're doing on stage and some of the more tactical parts of playing live. But taking the same question more from the perspective of are you putting yourself into a similar headspace that you had when you were constructing that album? Or are you trying to sort of impose more of the sorts of like lessons or things that you've picked up in the last couple of years since that album come out? Can you sort of address that question maybe more from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of both of those scenarios. I mean, like we were never, we never really left that headspace. I don't think there is always some sort of like strife and tumultuous situation going on in like the world. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, like just based on all of the literature and the like the films and music that we all listen to. And, you know, it's just in, in history as well, like that we're all fascinated by in our own ways. It's all like, it all just keeps regurgitating. It all keeps happening. It's getting more and more intense. Like all of the stuff that's being piled on us as a civilization and having to revisit that. It's just like, oh, we never really left. You know, we're, we're still there. We're actually living this, like in a way we're living out these themes still. And it hasn't really been difficult to switch back into that because as I said, we've never, I don't think we've ever really left that headspace. It's just a matter of like, how can we expand on this sort of idea and convey these sort of emotions in a, in a, in a different way? Yeah. I'd say I'd agree with that. Um, the only thing I, I personally for myself as a, as a musician, the only thing I had to get readjusted to is again, that album has a lot of subtlety to it, um, which like Mandala has its, point of subtlety but it's like a riff fest a lot of the times in there there's a lot of big riffs whereas scrap was more of there's definitely riffs in there that's great but it's uh, there's a lot more calmness in there and it's, it, it there's a lot of up and downs with the with the tones and stuff like that so i had to remember how to get back to that because i think our newer albums are a little bit more aggressive and actually the ep coming up here goes back to what american scrap had right it has a lot more just it's much more, I guess, peaceful. I don't know what you want to say. I'm shit with words, but um, yeah, I think that's the only thing with American Scrap. I was like, shit, that's right. I got to remember how to play a little less aggressively, a little, you know, just make it pretty rather than just be like, oh, yeah, here we go. So, creepy up Turns hat sideways, throws fists in air. 
you know, you're totally right, man. There's like mood building. Um, yeah, this, the, just kind of leaning into the subtlety um, and like the complexity of tones and mood. It's yeah, it's a very tonal album that I, it's the tone of the album is not the same as Mandala. Not to say that, you know, a lot of the themes may not, they do come across between the two albums, but yeah, it's, it was just like, oh shit. Right. That's why I, I listened to the album quite a few times when I was rehearsing and just like making sure, like, instead of overplaying, making sure I'm listening to the subtleties and taking it easy. So in terms of some of the themes, I think the title American Scrap obviously evokes something that can come to mind, but can you sort of elaborate a little bit on the themes that you were dancing around on in American Scrap and how you see them today? Chris would be best suited to answer that question because he's he writes most of the lyrics in this in this band. And um the word choice is definitely something that he takes very personally. But when he conveyed this to us, he, we all got on board very quickly because we all understand like the, there's this, like you can take American scrap on a literal sense, like the scrap materials, like, you know, kind of piecemealing everything together. If you go back in the history of, of the, of the U S and like, it was just a ragtag bunch of rebels, you know, uh, and that fighting spirit and ingenuity and just sort of that morphing into this like idea of American exceptionalism, that being the downfall of everything, you know, like leaving everything to pieces. There's that aspect of it. Right. And then there's also like the scrappiness of us, like in this, in this, this like version of us as a, as a country uh, or as a society where we've like, again, it kind of goes back to that like concept of American exceptionalism and what makes us so great historically. And there's a lot of like beauty in, in history. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of references and examples to that to kind of like justify that sort of mentality. But, you know, is it going to be our downfall? Like this sort of like arrogance. Um, and like, then you can kind of look at it as like the, the, the cast asides and stuff like that. The people who are sort of like looked over and you know, cast aside, like from like veterans coming home. Uh, to, you know, people like on the lower part of the casts of society and everything. So, and just, just how important those people really are into the fabric of our, of our, our being. Sorry, I was rambling a little bit there. I am a little bit stoned this morning. <laughs> it, was a, it was a rough night. <laughs> In terms of the methods that you were using to record American Scrap 2, you were talking about a much more like analog process and setting up a lot of microphones, live performance being an important part of that. Are you finding it easy to translate that into an actual live performance or is it less live than you thought live could be? Luckily, that part's been good because I remember when we were recording American Scrap, like you said, we played it live onto tape. So very few retakes because it is a pain in the ass to go back and to do any of that stuff. So, you know, we got all the drums done and then I, I was it bass was second, right, Mark? I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I yeah. 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 Um, we just sort of built it. As you normally would, right? With any like recording like that. That said, I remember recording my guitar specifically. It's like, yeah, I mean, like everything was live. Me trying to, Make sure my slide stays on my finger while I'm stomping on different pedals, trying to play through through songs, um, stomping multiple pedals at once. You could hear that on the album. Like some stuff is a little shaky here and there, but it's it's been actually pretty good. I'm like, all right, shit, 
uh, I already do this live. I fuck up. Uh, and I kind of did that on the album, uh, you know, for good reason. And I, I love the way that it sounds. Uh, so I'm just like, this is good. I'm, I'm good to play this live. It's just, again, like I mentioned earlier, just the subtleties of certain things. I've gotten a little bit more aggressive with, with my playing than I used to back then. Um, and I've developed different skills and I may have forgotten the American scrap skills because we haven't played certain songs or we haven't, you know, uh, really touched that. So that's the part that's been, I've been working on a little bit more, but in regards to playing a live, I'm like, this is basically a live album. It's just, we tracked it individually or a couple of us together. So yeah, there weren't really any overdubs. Um, like there wasn't much punching in and stuff. We just had to nail it as, you know, as much as we could. So we did, there was a lot of practice going into that record and there's, there's definitely a lot of practice going into rehearsing for this, you know, the show uh, and, and performing it back to back like that. Um, but yeah, just kind of thinking about what Kirill said in, in terms of fucking up. Like if you listen to Canary King, for instance, when we all come in, it's just like you hear Ray's like hi-hat click, like, and we're all supposed to come in on the downbeat. And it's just like, boom, it's just this like flam, but it still works in the song. It's just this sort of like messy wall of noise that's just kind of hitting people. Um, but like on a technical sense like you know if we play it live it'll probably be a lot more on the one uh because we've been practicing it more and like thinking about those things but i i like the way that that sounds the messiness it's just like it's it, it fits the message anyway it's it's more i think it's more authentic but the most fascinating part of the recording process at least to me uh was watching barrett gazaldo our the engineer for that when he was doing the mix down and everything he was doing it live so he's like sitting there with his fingers and all the faders and stuff he's heard all the songs at this point know what they're supposed to sound like and he's like you know putting it you know like down to a digital sense and he's just like moving all of the faders like live like an engineer would you know decades ago and stuff instead of sort of like automating everything and and, and pro tools and stuff so it's really fascinating to watch him work he's really fantastic when it comes to the analog mixing stage and stuff and just watching him work with these reels and, and everything. And it they definitely Treehouse definitely had a really awesome vibe in that sense and getting that sort of like that pulling that sort of performance and energy out of out of you. And he's really, really great at what he does for sure. That was that was really cool to me. Yeah, I think the perfect example of that is right when um lockdown happened exactly about what, two years at this point ago, two years ago, literally almost to the day. Um, if you watch our live stream that we did that time, we did it in the Treehouse studio with Bear as the engineer and everything was mixed basically live as well there. So you could see, you know, we were doing our mandala songs as well as some of the you know earlier stuff. But uh, yeah, you, you get that same feel from that performance as you do from American Scrap, which is a great great combination of the new age stuff at the mandala and then you have our american scrap and it all kind of compiled into one for that performance so in terms of roadburn itself and the sorts of things that you've gone through to get to that point this doesn't have to be the most inside baseball conversation necessarily but i was kind of thinking about this beforehand we haven't really talked with a lot of bands that have played roadburn and obviously becky and walter have been on the show but in terms of kind of getting that first invitation how does that sort of interaction play out is it walter and or becky coming to you and saying we want this specific thing or is there a conversation where you arrive at that conclusion that you want to play American Scrap is what makes sense? From what I gather, Walter is a big fan 
I've never met him personally, first of all. He's a big fan of having special performances that are different. Because if you think about the like a lot of the U.S. artists and a lot of the international artists that are going and playing at Roadburn, they usually have a tour route of some sort, you know, like in, in Europe to kind of maximize their time over there. And we were all just thrilled to just be asked to play in general. But, um, you know, of course we have Mandala of Fear. We were going to go on tour with it and then... The pandemic started, so those plans were canceled and everything. So the obvious choice would be like, okay, we have this record that we haven't really done. We haven't done any touring with like these new songs. The obvious choice would be go out and to you know play that that new material and everything. But the uh, what sort of I guess what sort of got people's attention was the record was American Scrap, and you know we never had an opportunity to play Europe in that regard. So there's that aspect. And then if you think about like these tour routes, there's a lot of festivals along the way in Europe. You've got Desert Fest Berlin, you've got Dunk Fest, you've got Desert Fest London, and also even like Desert Fest uh, in Antwerp. And so there there needs to be something to sort of differentiate and make it special. And so I think that's where the idea came from. I guess it was just a combination of Walter and Becky talking to each other and Becky obviously being more familiar with us uh, and, and what we do, and they just had the conversation. They brought it to us, and there you go. <laughs> you know, like if you since you guys are doing this tour, would you all consider playing American Scrap in full? You know, there was talk of maybe doing some acoustic stuff, and we were just like, like we can, you know, if we're doing a European tour, there might be a couple songs from American Scrap that are kind of like laced through the tour. Um, but, you know, to do that performance in full, we're looking at doing two completely different sets for like the entire tour, at least. Right. One is American Scrap in full. And that's what kicks off the tour. And then the, re- the, uh, the rest of the tour is a combination of like our material across the whole our whole lifespan. So it, it was definitely a lot of work. So we were like, yeah, we'll, we'll do we'll do American Scrap in full. That'd be a lot of fun. It, it'll be an, like it'll be an exercise for us to kind of go back and revisit that stuff. And it's really made, we've really connected a lot better as a band, you know, during this pandemic, just on an emotional level. And there was, of course, those, those moments where we were like a little tense and like everything was uncertain and stuff, but from, you know, the songwriting aspect and the rehearsal aspect, it definitely revitalized us as a band for sure. So, yeah. So when they came to us with that, it was an obvious yes. (laughs) You're listening to Heavy Hops. We'll have more from Kirill Orlov and Mark Najjar in a moment. There are a few things happening in the world of Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra that I want to share. You can find tickets to Scorched Tundra present shows and events at scorchedtundra.com slash tickets. We've also created a crowdfunding source for all things Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra. If you love what we do and want to support us, find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like. Giving any amount will grant you access to our Discord community and an opportunity to contribute to making Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra content the best it can be. Please also consider sharing this episode, rating us, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps others find us. Thanks for this moment, and back to our conversation with Kirill Orlov and Mark Najjar. Just thinking about how long you kind of had to stew with this, was the invitation for specifically the 2022 or was this something that was like supposed to be 2020 and then gotten pushed through consecutive festival cancellations? 2022 was the, uh, was the year that they, uh, they gave us that invite or, you know, when we were setting it up for the year of 2022. So that was, uh, that was a huge honor. So especially like listening to, uh, rote burn, uh, recordings 
and being like, oh shit, this is this is terrific. Uh, I really want to do this. So even if it's just can't the wait, one show. Can't wait to yeah. fuck up in a whole room full yeah. of strangers who are seeing us for the first time. <laughs> After a flight, yeah. Yeah, and have it yeah have it recorded. Yeah, and no better way to start a tour too. Yeah, right. On top of that, you get to live with that for the next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I exactly. think we, I think we're, I think we're shooting ourselves in the feet. <laughs> that yeah. Okay, yeah. it'll be fun. And they're all no, we're, we're like we're trying to grind as much as we can. Yeah, and like, <laughs> but that community seems so supportive and and like dedicated to the whole the festival as a whole, and it's. So, you know, and, and then also just, 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 but, but just, just being in a room full of, or like in an area and in, in a, on a stage, and then the crowd is just full of people who are just dedicated to experiencing new music that they haven't been and like trusting in the promoters and trusting in Walter and Becky to put on this show. And then having like this production staff, like everybody we've talked to who's played Roadburn, they're, they're so supportive. They're like, you guys are going to love it. You're going to do so well there. Um, like, don't be nervous because like, you know, we understand the nerves going in, but once you get there, all of that's going to get wiped away. You're going to just like, you'll be accepted as part of this community, you know, as long as you're not an utter prick to everybody. <laughs> um, and that, that is very encouraging for sure. They, they've definitely already made us feel very welcome and we just, we can't wait to, to meet everybody and, you know, share the love in the room. Yeah, have a couple of beers and relax myself. That's all I'm gonna do. So. I'm gonna have that. I'm gonna have that. That Netherlands weed, dude. Yeah, four twenty. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> God, I'm such a dork. You've released, or you will release, the Dying Pines, which is a new EP, and you will have premiered that most likely by the time that people listen to this. So you have two albums behind you that were recorded pretty differently. That there is overlap. You mentioned some of the themes overlapping, but you know there is a little bit of sort of subject matter difference too. And so, where does this EP sort of fit in that constellation? It's a precursor to the next LP, huh? About that. So, uh, this, you know, it's a, it's three tracks and the three tracks, I guess, like, I don't want to speak to a vocally market could speak to it more about the lyrics and everything like that. But like in regards to the, the music side of it specifically for me, it is, it is a perfect combination, a pretty close, perfect combination of the two albums. Um, and then us doing the, uh, the additional cover song as well on there. Thematically, I mean, it, if you listen to it, it, it is, it's still grief and sadness and shit's wrong. <laughs> loss. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of loss stuff. Um, I would say specifically on this EP, it's pretty pretty heavy with some of that stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. For for me, it's it's just like it is a great stepping stone to what hopefully the next LP will be. Um, just to give you that good taste of like shit. All right, they they figure that their shit out with those two albums, almost three albums basically because of Mandala, but um. But this EP is a, is a great stepping stone and it'll it'll kind of tie you over into the LP and the themes, hopefully, that'll be coming out of there. So, yeah, yeah, I would agree. Having it, it is the per, I think it's just the perfect blend of the, the past two full length records. And it, of course, fits thematically what, what we've been always doing because, you know, you got to write what you know. Um, and there's, you know, we've got a lot to talk about with that. Um, you know, just to touch on the amount of like, loss that comes up in this EP. Um, the first song, it's, you know, like just imagine crooning in a forest and thinking about like the people you've lost, like, you know, you know, dead parents, 
for instance, um, which, you know, we've, we've all sort of experienced that in some form, you know, Amy and Chris both wrote verses to that one. And, you know, when they, when they sing it, like they, they definitely mean it. Then let the buried life forgotten is, you know, as a concept, we're just thinking about if you like, imagine like somebody who is very close to you, who dies in the midst of like what all this chaos that's happening in the world, you know, sometimes we as a people uh, will like talk to them, so to speak. Um, and like, you know, you kind of like reflect on your life and like talk to them in your mind about like, you know, like, like how should I proceed? What would you say? And, and trying to think about like, you know, your, your, your friends who you've lost and what they would, what, what they would tell you and everything. And a lot of times it's just like, you know, just keep moving, keep moving. But then like, it's like, you know what, this is, this is our life to live. They've died. They've done their time. They don't need to re-experience this. Um, the, you know, just let them, let them be, they've died, let them lie forgotten and just move forward. Don't burden them with everything that's going on in the world right now. You know, like you can handle it. You can stand on your two own two feet. And that's, it's, it's just the part of this like grieving process and, and moving forward. It's a big theme for sure. Uh, and then with carry on, you know, we're all, we've, as a band, we've always been fascinated and really adamant about doing a lot of vocal harmonies and rich vocal harmonies. So, you know, that super group has been a big influence on all of us in some form with their songwriting skills and able to work these like complex harmonies and bringing that to the forefront. Uh, and they've all been really great songwriters. And, you know, if you look at American Scrap versus Mandela of Fear, one record is more leaning into the songwriting aspect and the lyricism, uh, the you know, the lyricism. And then the other record is a riff factory with like, you know, lyrics and themes that are sprinkled out that you kind of have to look for a little bit more. It's a little, it's not as obvious that like, you know, one, it's not as obvious that it's relying on the songwriting structure and the lyricism as much as the first record. And I think we're kind of getting back to that. Like, let's, let's write songs. Let's write actual, like, let's, let's focus on the lyrics. Let's, let's build this, this imagery with the music and be very deliberate with that. Um, because we've already flexed the riff muscle, you know? Um, so we want to kind of get back to that a bit. And I think that we've, we've kind of scratched the surface a bit with this, this new EP. That's interesting. Cause I almost hear two different bands when I listen to these two LPs side by side, it's interesting to listen to them side by side, obviously as someone who's a little bit of an outsider to the band, you know, the view is a little bit different. How do you sort of take something like the Crosby, Stills and Nash cover? What prism are you sort of shining this through and how do you sort of transform that song? You know, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, we've, we've all been fascinated by their use of harmony in their songwriting and we wanted to use that as a challenge to to kind of reimagine what they had done and taking the message of carrying on after some sort of loss be it a relationship be it you know carrying on from the the life that you had before and just kind of keeping on moving forward again like there's a theme there with the three songs and um but like the the big challenge was deciding on do we do this cover like true to form and perform it the way that they would or do we take it and sort of make it our own and we started the process you know by like just playing the cover as much as we could and it just didn't feel right as a band it just didn't feel like us and it just it felt like we were doing the song and you know the people who wrote it a disservice so we sort of like picked it all apart like removed a bunch of different 
aspects of it. And we focused on the two sections because if you listen to that re- the recording, it's it's really two different songs, right? You have the first half, the second half after the big acapella break, and so we like removed all instrumentation and all the bounciness and all like guitar solos and bass playing and stuff. And how can we make the sparse and lyrical and rich and really bring that to life and that focus, this beautiful sort of thing. And then the second half, we were like, okay, we just set up like to really separate those two songs in one. We have beautiful lyrical sort of sounds. And then we have like sonic destruction in the back half of it. And that like sort of like huntsmanified, so to speak, and made it much more our own creation, you know, like just while still paying homage to them. And uh, I mean, like, again, like, you know, playing and singing those harmonies, like those complex harmonies while playing all of that stuff is really, really difficult. And it's a level of musicianship that is, you know, I wouldn't say it's long gone, but it's definitely under, it might feel like undervalued in the age of, you know, cut and paste and auto tune and all these effects. They were able to do all that crazy shit, these complex vocal harmonies, like on a on what would now be considered an archaic recording setup. And then they did it live. They did it live in front of like tens of thousands of people sitting around each other with like maybe like two or three monitors on stage. It's just unreal to me. And so we were like, okay, well, like we've done this. We've put the, you know, we've recorded this now. How are we going to fucking do this live? Because we're such a loud, we're such a loud band. We have loud guitars, loud drums, big amps and shit behind us. How are we going to be able to sing these complex harmonies, even our own songs, and translate that live without sounding like absolute garbage? So, of course, like the obvious answer was like, let's get in-ear monitors to, to do that because I sure as shit, I'm not turning my amp down. <laughs> you know, like I can't. It just doesn't doesn't work. <laughs> you know, I'm, I know Kirill feels the same way. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that was a really great exercise for us to sort of like take something that's deeply inspired us and then reimagining it to make it a bit of our own. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, David Crosby hears it and, you know, completely trashes it, which is, which would be great for us. <laughs> it's like, cool. All right, cool. <laughs> Hell yeah. In terms of all the vocal layerings and all of the complexity that you look to bring to your sound, the addition of Amy as another vocalist opens up a lot of space for you. How is she putting her mark on material she did not originally record? I mean, uh, it's luckily, you know, we she's been on our first album, second album, and then obviously becoming a full-time member towards the end of the uh, the recording process of the mandala. And like the mark that she puts on there is something vocally she can do that none of us, I, I don't sing, so I guess I shouldn't fucking say none of us, but nobody else in the band can do. Um, she has her, she has a very amazing tone, um, you know, listening to like Last President being the first song that she was basically introed on. Um, it's extremely moving when you hear her voice. I don't think Chris could ever ever pull that off uh, with like that much emotion. And then when they sing together, it's fucking beautiful. Um, and like Mark said before, our band's been, you know, we try to stand out a little bit because we're able to do harmonies. We, we do the scream stuff, um, but there's a certain amount of just like prettiness that we love about a lot of music. And again, thus us doing that cover for carry on um i think trying to work with newer songs it has been a little bit difficult right because we are now asking her to step in and be like okay you take over this song you take over this song it takes on a different life though 
Uh, I know there's a, been a few songs from, I think of a mandala. We had her try to sing leads on and, you know, they sound much different and much more beautiful, which means contextually, sometimes we might have to change something with our guitars or just the way it sounds a little bit, not necessarily the whole song itself, but um, I don't know. She's, she's added a dynamic that um, wasn't just wasn't there obviously because she wasn't on every song. She wasn't harmonizing every song. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, not much of an answer on that one there, but uh, I don't know. It, it's, it, it has given our band a little bit more prettiness and a little bit more uh, um, heart, I guess. You could say in a weird way, um, but yeah. Well, and also really importantly is that she's adding this whole different perspective to our songwriting, which has been fantastic. I mean, she's, she's, you know, very well read and, you know, having Chris, who's just also like, he's a good writer. He likes to write complex themes and things like that. When we wrote the first two records, there's theme where there's this protagonist who is a woman that's kind of what we had in mind from a woman's perspective, but like, how do you write as men and convey the, the, like the struggle of women and non-men. And um, what was interesting is while we were writing the songs and recording for Mandala of Fear, and of course we tapped her in to sing on, on some of those songs, she brought it to us that she really was like identifying hardcore with the character that was in Mandala of Fear. And then also like the, the, the president and the last president and that sort of perspective. And it was really great to sort of start to lean into that. And when it came to, like, so her, I like really identifying with these songs and these lyrics and these concepts, it was nice for her to take the wheel and like have her say like, Hey, I would, I would really like to sing this, you know? And it's just like, cool, great, please, please do. And we'll make space for you. And like, you know, there was a bit of a learning curve after we first asked her a couple of years ago to bring, you know, to, to be in the band full time on how we as a band who have already kind of had our, like, you know, the four of us, you know, me, Kirill, Chris, and Ray, how we've had this dynamic. We have this like sort of routine and songwriting, you know, like back and forth. Uh, and now we're bringing this person in who doesn't have an instrument in hand, but has like the sensibility and knows when shit doesn't sound right and has like good, you know, feedback. It must've been, and I don't want to speak for her, but it, it must've been, you know, kind of intimidating in a way to step into this sort of process um, with this like very dynamic group of, you know, of dudes. And so it, it, it forced us to make sure we were a lot, like making space for her, making her feel like she had space to both create and direct and also can, you know, contribute. Uh, and it's, it's been awesome. You know, she's always been a part of the band in some fashion. When we did the first tour for uh, actually our only tour that we've ever done. Um, it was, it was on American scrap. She was with us and she just kind of like, she was, she was with us and she helped coordinate and keep us on schedule. And like, she was managing the band it sort of like inadvertently. And it was just such a great fit. I, I, I think we would have been at this point, I feel like we would be lost without her for sure. You know, she, she definitely contributes a lot more than just pretty vocals, you know, like, uh, like, and I know that's not what you were saying, Kirill. I just wanted to make sure that it's clear. Like she contributes a lot and it's, she does the pretty singing very well, but she also has like a really great dark tendency that fits with the aesthetic of the band and also the shit that we like. 
Do you feel as though you've learned about yourselves in that process of incorporating Amy? You were talking about being, you know, self-identified men and then incorporating an identifying woman into the band. What more was there outside of the incorporating into the music and into the business side of the band? I don't think it was there. I, I don't know. It just it was such an obvious choice. Like like the the other four, you know four dudes were just like so Amy's to be in the band right you know and we're like oh yeah of course duh like it just makes sense it, it makes things easier like it feels it just feels right but the question was does it feel right to her so we had to like let her sit on it and figure out like if if, if she wanted to contribute in, in in that way and like thankfully she said yes and you know it's it's been awesome ever since but yeah i, I think at least from my perspective it was such an obvious decision to have her part of this dynamic and, and, and sort of take us to the next level because she's she's got a lot to say. And I think that's that's important, especially as we go into this this new, like <laughs> this new old uh method of songwriting structure and stuff. I think it's I think this next LP especially, like the the EP itself, like there's a lot of her influence on there. And then the next LP that comes out, we're already talking about themes. She's brought a lot of ideas to the table. Um, there's one in particular that I'm particularly excited about that like Ray wrote this insane blast beat too. And like, you know, she's already like, she's already got lyrics and everything. And it's, it's, it's a very good like protest anthem. It's, it's, it's fucking awesome already. So like the creative juices are, are flowing. It's really awesome to have her a part of it. So yeah, to answer your question, I don't, I don't think there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, I don't know, the only, I guess the only self-reflection was just making sure there was space for a new member in general. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, yeah, for me, it was just like recognizing the fact like, Hey, you know, the four of us have been together for some time and it's letting go of control of certain things. Right. Because now you have another member that has input. Um, not to say that we're not going to take people's input, but it's just be a little bit more conscious of it. And uh, I think that, that, that'll help out quite a bit. Um, and I, overall, I think for for everybody, myself included. So, yeah, that that was great. And it's just and giving her a voice and making sure that we listen to her instead of just telling her what to do, right? You know, regardless of like her being a band or somebody else being in our band, I always feel like you're stepping into the, an established thing. And it's like, well, all right, you're the you're the Jason Newstead of the band, so we're not going to really fucking listen to you. So let's. Just roll on with what we got, and we'll write everything. You, you deal with it, and we'll fucking deal with it. You'll get paid later. Um, and it's that's now nah, our we want to make sure everyone's included and very, very inclusive band. We want to make sure everyone's voice is heard, regardless of if we like it or not. It's just like, hey man, there's no reason to quiet down anybody. Um, and I think that that for me personally, that's helped a lot. Um, I'm not very outspoken in general as it is, but regardless of that, it's just like it was just nice to hear somebody else's voice in the room and just it helps us grow. You know what I mean, dude? Yeah. Yeah, you're you're right. Uh, like I totally didn't even think about that. Like it, it's definitely forced us to listen to each other in a much different way, and like sort of dig a little bit deeper. Especially like because you know, like you you're around these you know these these friends in in the same capacity for for years, and like you learn their little like idiosyncrasies and their reactions to things, and you want to dig a little bit deeper so they don't feel like they're just sort of like going through the motions or being left behind or unheard and it, it really it, it hasn't just been the, the the great part about this is that is, is relearning how to really listen to each other and really connect with each other and like there were there were times like 
especially during the pandemic where like we all individually had like creative blocks and motivational blocks. And part of it was just like, yeah, like I feel like, you know, maybe I feel like my voice isn't being heard. Maybe I'm not articulating it the right way or, or what, but like forcing us all to really take a step back and not take the helm of everything and, and making sure we all are able to create this thing together. It's, it's been really awesome. Mark, Kirill, thank you so much for coming on Heavy Hops. Good luck in Europe and good luck with all things to come. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much.